Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to that Chelsea podcast, episode 68, Belgium Waffle. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. And I'm joined, as always, by Jack Davies. How are we doing, sir? Yeah, I'm all good, mate. Uh, looking forward to hopefully hopefully another good year following Chelsea after a great 2021. So, um, yeah, let, let's hope we can uh, keep the pace. May probably not catch City, but uh, hopefully be up and around those top spots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And returning to the podcast, so first time in a little while, it's Nishal. Nishal, how are we doing, my man? I'm very good. Happy New Year to you and to all your listeners. Good to be back on and I hope we can top 2021, but it'll be very, very difficult to do that. But after the first game of the season, who knows what can happen this year. Exactly, exactly. That was a cracker yesterday. As always with guests, I get them to give themselves a little plug. So, Nishal, tell people where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find all your work, etc. Yeah, so if you want to follow me or find any of my content, you can follow me on Twitter at Nishal underscore SP. You can find all of my work on nishosblog.com, articles, videos, podcasts. We're back again for 2022, covering Chelsea and the Switzerland national team. So you can find all of my stuff over there on Nishos blog. Yeah, and all those links will be in the description below. So make sure you check Nishal out. He is a really, really good lad with some good good work out there. And yeah, as I said last year, he did have a privilege of going and covering Chelsea behind closed doors as well. So, you know, very lucky, very lucky indeed. Right, Jack. Expect disappointment and you will never get disappointed. Quote from MJ in Spider-Man No Way Home. It was so prevalent against Brighton, though, wasn't it? Oh, my days. How bad was that? I mean, I was going to say the uh, the contrast between that game and yesterday, just in every single aspect. Um, Brighton completely, completely dominated us. I felt like it was like that Brentford game at the end. Yeah, they scored late and I was pretty frustrated but it's one of those where you just go they should have won the game to be honest with you I know we should have had a pen and stuff and could have killed the game earlier but based on the 
second half in that game, they they probably did enough to win it as well. So, and then as well as that, the the atmosphere at the bridge on in that Brighton game is generally one of the worst I've ever been to. It was really really bad everywhere. I guess I know it's Christmas and stuff. People buying uh, like tickets for family and friends and stuff, but it just wasn't. The bridge just wasn't rocking like it was yesterday, and the complete opposite. Yesterday was probably one of the best best I've been to in a long, long time. So, um, yeah, it was. I don't know. It was just one of those a massive kick in the teeth, um, and sort of signalled that that that's 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 our chances over for the season. I think. So yeah, disappointing, but uh, the boys showed courage and and. Uh, determination yesterday to come back from 2-0 down against a good Liverpool team so it's that's a good start to 2022 and we've just got to build on that performance from yesterday yeah no I won't spend too long on Brighton because let's be clear no one really wants to hear about that game and there's not really much to take from it we scored we did score Romelu Lukaku Eesh. get on to him in a bit uh Mason Mount corner Rom heads home 1-0 uh you know from then on you know we missed chances you know a couple of penalties we could slash should have had uh, Christian Pusic and Callum hudson Adoy. I know Callum got a lot of stick for that pass. Turns out was handled or looked like it was handled. Uh, and then Mason puts the ball in the back of the net, but referee's already blown his whistle. You know, could he have waited? Probably he could have. I think that's what you meant to do the rules, but uh, it's Mike Dean. He needs to make himself the centre of attention. Uh, but yeah, we can't really complain. We can't really make excuses. Brighton created so many chances. Mendy made some big saves. Again, I thought his distribution was a bit sloppy, but I'm not going to, you know, Blame him. It was basically him and Lukaku on there against Brighton, and plus nine others against Brighton. I felt midweek, so uh, yeah, it wasn't great. And uh, eventually, Brighton get their awards. Danny Welbeck scores, and it's uh, it's very, very painful stuff to see. Um, and we'll just leave Brighton there. Say it was, it was grim. It was just a grim night in general. Kind of one of those you just hoping. Like it got to a point, honestly. I thought Brian kept missing. I genuinely like convinced myself he was actually you know going to win that one nil because they just kept missing and missing. Uh, but as I said, you know, referring back to my earlier quote, exactly, you know, you can't be too disappointed if you kind of expect it to happen. Right, Nishal, after that, a uh, bit of a messy situation. Romelu Lukaku, I don't know what it is with Belgians and Malvin off at Chelsea, but it seems to be a, a common thing. Um, oh, that was not needed. That put us in a very difficult position. I just get your thoughts on, on Romelu Lukaku and what he had to say. I've been very vocal about it. Um, I've what I find remarkable is that we in 24 hours we went from chanting his name of a bridge after scoring his third goal in two games and getting us a point to completely, I put it, I say I was completely pissing off the entire fan base. I do not understand it. I still do not understand it. And every day that's passed since, it just gets worse and worse and worse. First, you hear the quotes, then you hear that he organised into himself. Not only did the club not know about it, his representatives didn't know about it. He didn't even go to his agents or his PR team, went straight to Sky Stallion. And, you know, this has been a major talking point over the last week, even overtaken the Liverpool game. You know, a lot of us forgot that we actually had a big game to play because we've been distracted by this. And I think it ended in the right way in the short term, at least, where he was dropped from the Liverpool game. That's what I stood by. I said there was no chance in hell we played him in that game because if we do, we have lost the battle. We've lost the battle against our record signing, who's shown that player power exists and he's strong enough to get what he wants. But we've taken a clear stance in it. I've seen a lot of people say this and I completely agree that's a change of culture in Chelsea, that we've chosen Tuchel. The fans are behind him, the players are behind him, the board is seemingly behind Tuchel over Lukaku. 
and it is a big, big moment in our season. But now we're on to Monday. There's been a big meeting today between Lukaku and Tuchel, and that will be influential on what happens next. And it's a question of when do we play and what do we do with him? We can't sell him. No one's going to pay £100 million to get our strike off, and we can't get rid of him. That's not feasible. And it's a big dilemma on what do we do with him now? We risk keeping him in the squad and let him infiltrate the rest of the squad and show them that player power, while it's not worked so far, player power can happen. And it is possible at Chelsea. Do we keep him in that squad and keep him in that environment? Do we get rid of him? Do we make him train to be under 21s in a youth team like we did with Maluda 10 years ago? It is a big, big decision. And it's not helpful when we have so many important games. We've got two legs against Spurs, a big game against City, a league game against Spurs. We don't have any easy run in January. This is not good timing for us at all. So whatever happens, we've got to make sure that we get it sorted and we do it in the best way possible. Because if this escalates and this gets even bigger and even more important, it could derail our entire season and we cannot let that happen. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think it's quite interesting. We had some you know, information like came out day from The Athletic that Jorginho, Azpilicueta, Kante and Rudiger were all amongst those consulted by Tuchel over how to deal with the Romelu Lukaku situation. So it seemed he was going to, you know, the senior players, you know, asking, you know, what do we do about this? And it seems, you know, again, pretty much everyone in unison. And they certainly those big key players, those key, big, big key players in the dressing room as well, you know, fully supporting Tuchel's decision as well. And I said, yeah, I think what you're kind of reading is no one's really on Rom's side here, which kind of, I guess, shows to Rom how, how in the wrong he is. And uh, probably, you know, his silence at this point is maybe slightly deafening. Um, Jack, Rom, like, I think some of the quotes... I don't think are horrendous. I don't. I think some aren't like great. I just think it's one of those where he's literally just decided. You know, I'm just going to talk. I'm going to talk. You know, in no real thought process behind it. And in while trying to get into Milan fans on side, he's just not really done himself any favors with them, and he's basically just lost himself. The fans, which were you know on his side, you know, I mean, say his name was being sung. You know, the last two, say the last two games, he's sort of been a key player in us. You know, being in the position as well. I mean, even Brighton, you know, he was probably our best attacker and probably one of our best defenders on the pitch that day. He was, you know, he was really good. So just how disappointing you'd like to hear Rom make those comments, especially, you know, after that big interview he gave, you know, about, oh, he's home, you know, it's sort of like, you know, yeah. his dream type thing. Yeah, I mean, I was having a look back through his Instagram when he first signed for Chelsea again or re-signed for us and exactly the words you just said, Nick, he'd, he'd said things like back home, um, like London is blue once he scored his goal against Arsenal all of this um, yeah it's quite it's very disappointing to see because I, I do I do kind of believe like when he was when he was he, well you've seen the videos when he was 13, 14 at Stamford Bridge he was a big Chelsea fan and things um, and I understand some players will go through their career and be at a club and think I would like to go back there one day a lot of players have, have that kind of um like uh, like belief or yeah, just goal to one day return to a club. But to go to go out to the media and say it like Nishal said, especially behind your agent's back, behind the club, and do it off your own back is is pretty shocking. And I think um, being at Stamford Bridge yesterday and hearing a lot of fans talk about it, um. No one is very happy about it, to say the least. I think that could be potentially be the beginning of the end. But as well, um, Nishal 
mentioned and said, well, what are we going to do? We're not, no one's going to pay 100 million for him, are they? Um, if they know we want to get rid of him, they'd have to go on the cheap and we'd have to take a, take a big hit on that. So it's a very difficult position for the club to be in. Um, I think Tuchel dealt with it incredibly well. Um, because if he'd played him yesterday, it would just just shown to all those other players they could go and do the exact same thing, and there's no repercussions, and they would have start kept starting games like him. Um, but on the other side, I think you have to try and look at it with a with a cool head at the same time. I know as football fans, your emotions can get uh, it can we can just go over the top sometimes. You have to look at it and think he did that three weeks ago, four weeks ago, whatever it was. Um, and that was when he wasn't playing. And I remember seeing the interview after the Villa game and he said he said to Sky Sports and said, I've spoken to the manager about his role, etc. So you don't know if that was those kind of concerns he had were then dealt with it then. But I completely agree with both of you and think that the way he's he's gone about it is in in the completely wrong way so it will be a difficult one for him to win the fans back but we'll uh yeah we'll have to see if he can manage it yeah i mean ron perhaps don't go talking about how much you'd like to return to Inter when you've only been at chelsea four months just a hint maybe i know you i know they did a lot for you but maybe just to save that for now and yeah i think literally the only way ron can make up to me is he you know spurs carabao cup time lee, lee parker gives him mic and he just gives that little speech recreates the scene from Notting Hill and goes, you know, you just go, I'm just a man, I'm just a boy standing in front of a full Stamford Bridge crowd. You know, <laughs> we just go from there, really. That, that's the only way we deal with it, in my opinion. Um, but Spider-Man now, Notting Hill. Really they, the the movie references, the pop culture references, exactly, they're everywhere. Um, right. Yeah, that's Rom. The, there's been a lot of discourse on it. You can probably hear more about Rom from like, other people and it has kind of been like dealt with. I don't want to like spend too much on it. It was just really, really unnecessary, wasn't it? It was just stupid from him. But let's talk some positives. Liverpool yesterday. Um, Nishal, that was probably, you know, the game of the Premier League season, just from like a neutral standpoint. That game kind of had everything. But that game, despite it being, you know, a, you know, perhaps a, like, you know, the title's gone. I mean, to be fair, the title to me felt gone after the Brian draw. But now with City 10 points clear of us, the title does feel gone with 17 games to go. But that draw, I kind of felt a lot more than just a draw. That kind of felt like a really, you know, symbolic, unifying moment for like, hopefully the team and Tuchel going forward because when I say saw this tweet from the brilliant Joe Tweedy uh, which I'll just read out and it can't I really completely agree with it we've seen many performances from Chelsea sides in recent memory that have, have signaled the impending end of a managerial tenure yesterday was a performance where a group of players rallied around their coach it could be a seminal moment for Tuchel in his time here and it did feel like that because again we saw you know Tuchel's name was sung he was really passionate about it the crowd were really up for it it just seemed to be like Yesterday, when we were in the face of adversity, sort of everyone came together and really pulled through. And that Chelsea performance, while well, wasn't maybe the result we were looking for, that was probably a Chelsea performance that we've not seen at home for a special week. Because Chelsea performs with a lot of heart and passion, where you know the previous two home games have been really flat. Absolutely, I think there are two ways we look at this game. One way is that it really dents our title challenge hopes. Some would say that it derails it completely and it's over. It's our third home draw in a in a row. And it's if you look at it as well, we've had one home league win since Norwich, which isn't good enough. If you look at it in that perspective, it's not good enough. It's a poor result. We didn't win. We went behind 2-0. But that's one perspective. And that's the perspective I don't think anyone has on this game. The other one is what the performance represents. Coming back from 2-0 down 
fighting back, really having everyone behind the team, behind Tuchel, behind the players, everyone being there, everyone being together. And it was a fantastic, fantastic point. We shouldn't have gone too little behind in the first place. Something that I think spoke volumes was the fact that we had an identical chance with Shalaba making a mistake for Mane's goal and Robert um, Alexander-Arnold making a mistake for Pulisic's miss. The fact that Pulisic couldn't get round the keeper and missed that. And the fact that Mane did that with ease and scored. That really summed up the gap in quality and the gap of cutting edge that we have. You know, you make those sort of mistakes, you're often punished in the Premier League and we should have done the same. That's one point. But overall, it was a big, big statement of what this team means. Like you said earlier, everyone getting behind Lukaku. We up again against Lukaku, sorry. And everyone getting behind Tuchel. And I don't know if it happens. A few years ago, we've seen lots of instances of player power, of managerial tension. You know, you only have to look at Sarri a few years ago to really see the divide of the toxicity that existed in the fan base. And this is the first time in a long, long time that I've really seen 100% of a fan base get behind the players who are playing for the club, behind the manager who cares about the club and really rallying together. And it was much more than a point and much more than a draw because it showed the we don't need Lukaku at the end of the day. We don't need a player who thinks he's above the squad, above the club and better than all of us. We can come together and get those sort of results. And yes, like I said, it wasn't a most ideal result. It puts us in a really difficult position in the league. It continues our poor form, both home and overall. But at the end of the day, I don't think there was a single Chelsea fan who went home from the bridge last night saying, yeah, I'm disappointed with that draw. We were poor. We didn't deserve that. If anything, we deserve to win. And we could have easily got the win. But I feel like many of us went home saying a draw was a fair result. But also, that is a really defining statement performance to get that draw, to get that result. And it says a lot about the state of Chelsea going into 2022. It's easy to forget, but we're still second in the league. We're still in a really good position. And we came from 2-0 down against the big 16 for the first time in six years. And that deserves a lot of credit. And it takes a lot of character to do that. So... We'll look back on that result, you know, on paper, that's very easy to look back at another game where we dropped two points, another game in our poor home from the season. But from the eye test and from knowing the significance and the context of that game, that is a game which I think will be a statement result for a long, long time. Yeah, no, exactly. Look, we've played Liverpool twice this year. Twice Anthony Taylor has been ref. Twice we have faced some form of adversity, you know, being down to 10 minute Anfield being 2-0 down today. Both times we've managed to get a draw. Both times, you know, we've probably, maybe not so much for the first game, but still done enough to get the win. It was really encouraging. Uh, Jack, I guess let's just quickly go through, like, the goals. Uh, Liverpool's first goal, Trevor Mann. Unfortunately, probably the first real mistake he's made for us. I said to you at the time, I don't know what he's trying to do. Stoop so low, Trevor Ball. Maybe mm. he's trying to, you know, get enough heart on it. But he makes a mistake. Mane coolly rounds um, the keeper. It's 1-0. But before we go on to the second, I want to quit. Well, I actually thought Trevor recovered really well from that. He was a bit shaky a little bit afterwards, but then you've also got to remember he makes that key tackle on Salah to stop, you know, potentially being 3 0 at one point. And I thought, I know, I know Trevor went off injured, but I actually thought after that, he actually picked himself up quite well and recovered quite well, which is what you want to see. Yeah, definitely. I think we were discussing it yesterday at the game and just said the kid has had a few loan spells at Ipswich, Huddersfield, and Lorien in League One. These are. It's just completely different class uh, class level in the Premier League compared to these teams he's been at. And Tuchel has given him a lot of trust this season. 
in that team. He's played a lot of games for us in some big, important games uh, over people like Azpilicueta. I know he didn't yesterday, but yeah, he's, I, honestly, I think he's been a revelation over all this season. And yesterday against arguably one of the best teams in the world, making a mistake um, to concede that first goal, his head easily could have dropped and he could have could have really made a few more mistakes and, and completely killed the game. But that tackle against Salah was a massive moment in that game. And yeah, he, he, I know he went off injured, but he, he should still hold his head high after that performance. I know he'll be one of those kind of players to look at the, look at the mistakes more than, more than how he played well. But um, he's young and he's learning. And like we said before, he's, he saved us a lot of money in the transfer market. So it's been great to see another another youth team product brought through by by the manager. Yeah, second goal is, I mean, it's poor defending. Let's not let, like Alonso gets done. Uh, but I will go on to Alonso. I actually thought he was really good yesterday. And I think that was probably the only moment he sort of really sort of let us down. Uh, but Jack, again, that's just also a brilliant Salaman. Like he just, you know, he gets past him easily. Alonso, you know, Alonso thinks he's going to gonna shoot, but no, he goes down the line and then, Beats Mendy, you know, you can, I don't, I can't even be really too critical of Mendy. I think you just got to go Salah, fair play, what a just, goal. Just sits him, sits him down, doesn't he? And at both of them really, just quick body faint, Alonso's gone. And then, yeah, sticks it, sticks it in at the near post, really. Um, there's not much more you can say about Salah. He's world class. He's the best player in the Premier League this season for me by a mile. And arguably the best player in the world. Um it's just one of those that's difficult to see when you know you you had him at your club. Um, probably one of the one of the worst um, one of the worst we've let go. But at the same time, if he hadn't hadn't gone off to um, Fiorentina and and Roma, he probably wouldn't be the player that he is today. So it's one of those. It's difficult. We probably had we we did have better players at the time, but but yeah, he's world class. And to be fair to him as well, like the character of the bloke, the respect he's got. Um, fair play to him. He's played against us numerous times, scored goals against us, and and not celebrated against a team that did not treat him very well. Um, and yeah, sent him off packing. Uh, I certainly wouldn't have done that if I was him yesterday. I'd 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 be celebrating in front of those fans. So fair play to him for the level of respect he's got. Yeah, no fair off now. I want to talk about one of the best goals of the season. Maybe one of the best goals Stamford Bridge has ever seen. It reminded me of Michael Essien, Michal Kovacic, our Croatian man who left Madrid, he left Milan, he signed for Chelsea and he said FC Dan and he signed for Chelsea on a transfer van. Yesterday, that was probably, and I said time, that is the best Matteo Kovacic performance I've seen in a Chelsea shirt. Just wow. Some of his touches, just look, and I'll read the stats from Squawker. 100% tackle success, 100% take-ons completed, 100% aerial duels won. 13 duels won, which is a most, 11 ball recoveries, 11 final third entries, six tackles made, the most, four take-ons completed, the most, two shots, one sensational go, goal, sorry, and no fouls. I mean, that is, that was honestly, um, we'll go on to Kante as well afterwards, but from Kovacic, that was an incredible performance, wasn't it? 100% tackle rate is just insane. That's the one that stands out to me. He was unbelievable yesterday. It's credit to him because he started the season so well, out injured for two months, which really had an effect on us and on him being out of the team so long. We saw him coming back slowly to full fitness against Wolves, against Brentford. And then Sunday was just unbelievable. He's definitely someone, I think, who 
you know, he was doubted by a few when he came to Chelsea. He wasn't seen the qualities he had. And even I can say I didn't fully see the need or quality of him. But he has just got better and better and better at Chelsea. And Sunday was just a wonderful world, world-class performance, you know. The way he drives forward in midfield is one of many positive attributes he has. His tackling was class. And I saw on Match of the Day too last night, they were talking about the midfield battle. You had three Liverpool midfielders, but it was R2 but one. And you just watch them together and you think, just, we are so, so lucky. And he was wonderful. And that goal as well, you know, I saw that coming out. And I thought he was going to take a touch, you know, chest it down, then shoot. And then you saw him shooting. And that is an insane goal. We're definitely one of our goals of the season, if not our goal of the season, I would argue. Because I can think of a few which contend, you know, Conte against Leicester, uh, Reese against Newcastle, either one. But I think that gets my goal of the season so far. Just unbelievable technique. And also, without Kovacic, without that goal, without that drive and passion throughout the game, we don't get anything from that result. If it's someone else in midfield other than Kovacic, you know, Conte and someone else, I don't think we have that same drive, that same balance, that same power in midfield. So he, you know, undoubtedly was man of a match. And he played a key, key role. And that goal, of course, that changed the momentum of the game. Beautiful, beautiful strike. Yeah, cheers for VAR for trying to find something wrong with that goal, by the way. Spend more time than that than looking at the Mane elbow in the first 15 seconds. But we will not get into that. But yeah, Kovacic, again, someone who I've been, you know, I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with him, you know, before this season. Someone I thought was good, but also someone who left me wanting more. Someone who I thought we could maybe replace. Someone who I didn't think was necessarily key or as key to this Chelsea team. But boy, boy. He's taken the number eight shirt this year and he's a different man. Two Premier League goals this season. So that's his best haul in a Chelsea shirt in terms of league goals in a season for us. And he was sensational. I mean, some of those touches, especially in the last 10 minutes, there's a ball for, I think, from Mendy. And I think he just takes the touch, just gets it past Trent. You're just like, oh, stop it, Kovacic, stop it. I think there's a Twitter account that's called Stop It, Reese James. But then he's been a Twitter account called Stop It, Mateo Kovacic, because that was, that was insane. Um, Jack, second goal. Okay. Firstly, I mean, Kante has a part in it. Really good plays ball. Kante flicks on Pulisic. And what a finish from Pulisic, by the way. And the limbs, the sound in that stadium. Oh, my word. That was that was incredible, wasn't it? That Yeah, that was really special because I'm not going to lie. I was thinking when it went 2-0, I was thinking, if another couple go in here, I'm, I'm off. I'm, I'm getting my one training hour home. <laughs> so we were just saying, weren't we together? We were saying we just need one before half time. So... To get two, and we we should have even had three. It should have been three to have a should have scored. But yeah, it was it, it was one of the best games I've been to in quite a while. To be fair, really enjoyed it. Um, and credit to Pulisic, he was getting a lot of stick from everyone after that missed chance. Um, but some players thrive off that, thrive off the uh, off off the uh, like atmosphere from the stadium and the stick that they receive to drive themselves and and be a better better player and what a finish what a finish um and I'd say Kante again something he's just massively improved on throughout his Chelsea career is his his game going forwards we know what he can do his tackling interceptions um but his his passing now has improved it's been it's so so much better I remember him um used to kill a lot of our attacks and I think we might have even discussed that the three of us before um him just yeah killing our our, our attacks etc and another another assist for him yesterday um and I think you kind of 
as much as I didn't like Sari at Chelsea, you've got to kind of give him a bit of credit because he was he was the one that played him in a higher position and started getting that kind of or trying to get that kind of output from him. So yeah, credit where credit's due there. Yeah, now as I before we go on to Kante, look, Werner Pulisic, I say, I thought before the goal, he wasn't great. He was struggling. Again, still needs to get his head up more. He's just, but that goal, fair play to him, especially after that miss, the composure behind that goal. And you can see how much it meant to him, how fired up he was. And then he kind of just gave him a lease of life. And again, he was quality for him. And that's hopefully, you know, a star signs. Hopefully that can be a real confidence booster because I said he has had a few games starting now. But that was probably his first game actually in a position that suited him, that favours him well, plays to his strengths. So it was nice to see him do well there. But yeah. As I mentioned, N'Golo Conte, 100% tackle success, 100% take-ons completed, 100% long pass, actually. Again, talking back to Jack, talking about his passing there. 85 touches, 71 passes, 61 of those passes were completed. 14 ball recoveries, the most. Four duels won, three take-ons completed, three chances created, the most. Again, linking back to Jack, talking about the creativity side. Two interceptions, one assist. Nashal, it's probably very rare that you see maybe like one, like, you know, you see one really world-class performance on the pitch. Well, I think it's fair to say we saw two, you know, pretty world-class performances from two midfielders on a, say, a game that had it all. But, you know, it's one of those, like, those two midfield performances. I know we didn't win. I know it was only a draw to all. But, oh, my word, those, again, a word on Conte, because just, again, you know, if it's only, I think, the fourth time he's completed 90 minutes this season or whatever, again, just showing how good he is and how important he is, isn't he? Yeah, really quickly, I think we had four world-class performances. Mendy, Silva, Cover, Conte for me. I think all four yeah. were world-class. Mendy saved us a lot, but um, Conte as well. Just I, I saw something as well saying they've started very few games together when you've been playing a back three, and it's surprising sometimes because you realise how much of an asset they both are and how well they work together. If the situation is right, if the circumstances are correct, they're just unbelievable together. And Conte... He's had a really interesting role at Chelsea the last few years because he's still our best player. He's still one of our most important players. But now he's getting older. He's you know approaching the twilight of his career and he's suffering more from injuries. We do have to use him really sparingly. If it's a case where we get to play him once and we have to rest him for three games, mm-hmm. so be it. But what we can all comfortably say is it's completely worth it because every time he comes out for a big game or a crucial game we need to win, he is a world world class and he's one of those players who it's taken me a few years I mean I've always realised he's a top player but as I've got older and as I've watched him more and more at Chelsea you realise just how special he is just unbelievable working so well with cover driving forward even got an assist you know it doesn't happen all the time but it was a really nice ball through to Pulisic and if you see how how much space and how well positioned Pulisic is for the goal you realise how good of a pass it is to get him through, you know, back turn towards goal, putting it on a play, perfect time, an inch perfect time. And that just sums up Conte. He's been one of our best players this season. He's not even played half the games because he's been injured and he's been missing so much football. And he's someone that, you know, I think we realise more and more of how special he is, but it's when he leaves, we will realise and we'll look back on him and say he is one of the greatest midfielders to ever play at that club, at this club. And we say that, when you've had Lampard, Makalele, Essien, Pulit, so many players, but Conte is comfortably up there. World, world-class performance. And then one quick point on Cobber. I was looking at his stats again, and I wanted to try find his passing accuracy. Couldn't find it, but if I only remember one bad pass from him all day, which is where he spread out wide to, I think, Asby on the right-hand side. Asby was already making a run, and he played it behind him. That is the only mistake I remember. 
and then you heard so many but something you'll learn about the bridge the crowd of the bridge if you've not been before is that but we're very vocal you hear the groans you hear the cheers and there was one moment in particular where I think cover he brought it down he did a little back heel did a heel like this incredible 30 seconds of football for Mateo Kovacic where everyone was just in it all and that sums them up so world-class performances across the board from us last night yeah, no, exactly. And I said, I said to Jack, we were tuning, we were tuning down. And I said to Jack, Thiago Silva still having a blinding game. He's still brilliant. Again, some of those diagonals or those passes he plays forward, again, bringing from Minante is, I he, honestly, that Champions League performance, that Champions League run, like immediately that just took him up another level to me. And honestly, I think he's probably maybe yeah top three, maybe even yeah second greatest ever midfielder to play for this club. He's just genuinely, genuinely uh, phenomenal. We will now move on to listener questions. Right, I said listener questions. First question, it seems, seems kind of prevalent to continue, comes in from Paddy. Thoughts on sticking with Kante cover for now? They ran the show. Nishal, I mean, you know, that's probably, let's say, the first time we've seen them for a while. Jorginho's pretty much been a mainstay in this Chelsea team. He has kind of been running on empty a bit in recent weeks. Uh, thoughts on maybe sticking with them for now? Or is it, again, for you, is it kind of just purely opponent dependent? I would say it's opponent dependent, but more so on fitness and needing to protect our players because we have to remember Jorginho has been playing non-stop football last season uh, on top of Euros. Then he's been suffering of injury problems this season, playing through pain. And then, of course, Kante is always vulnerable. He's always very fragile. So as much as I'd love to see Kova Kante every game while they're in form, we have to use them sparingly. And we have to be careful which games you bring them out. For example, City... Undoubtedly, I'd say Copa Kante because that would be crucial for us. But Chesterfield, there's no point playing there. We do have midfield depth. We do have other players that we should be playing and we should be using. So it's a case of using and wisely and playing our cards when we really need to and understanding that Kante is fragile and vulnerable. Jorginho is still playing through pain. Cover's just come back from injury. So using them wisely and playing our cards when we need them. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting. I'd be surprised as much as I would love us to really take the Carabao Cup seriously now. And I think, you know, we will, we can to an extent due to the fact that Chesterfield, you know, is in between and we can basically play the kids in that. But I'm, you know, I'd be pretty surprised if N'Golo Kante starts the first leg anyway against Spurs. I reckon Jorginho will probably come back in, hopefully anyway, because I do think, you know, we'll take it relatively seriously. There'll be some changes, but yeah, we can take over. Uh, next question, Dean Mears, Jack. Thoughts on Mount recently? Looks a bit like an odd part, but still produces good numbers. And he's kind of been something we've been saying on pod this year. He's not looked as good as he did last year, but his numbers are better, which I guess is an encouraging sign. Um, and yes, yesterday, it's kind of a weird one to rate him because I thought I liked a lot about him yesterday, but there wasn't perhaps, you know, from the attacking side, much to show from it. It kind no, of felt almost wasn't... like a, a Willian hardworking performance for him, which I don't really want to, <laughs> to, you know, but it did kind of feel like that. I could kind of appreciate what he was doing, but he didn't, it wasn't like mm. stand out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There was no kind of like, no kind of like edge to his game, that kind of spark that he usually brings, really. Um, I, I mean, I think what I can say that kind of sums it up is that from that game, I don't really like remember too much of what he what he's done, which kind of tell, tells you the whole story from my point of view. Um, but He's he's still a quality player, and you see it when he's when he's not played in this team. We haven't performed to to as high levels as when he does play. So I think it like like with Jorginho yesterday, potentially he, 
he was having a rest, I think potentially for Mount, a rest soon could be good for him. He's played a lot of football as well. Um, but at the end of the day, we know Mason Mount's quality and and yeah, he's he's our star boy, so it'll shine through at the end of the day. Yeah, no, exactly. And I said he got the got an assist for Brighton, you know, again, worked hard, you know, for again, he's Brian, you know, for that tackle, which was not a foul, in my opinion. And then sorts of ball away, and obviously there's nothing he can do about it. Rest playing his whistle, VAR can't check that. But yeah, no, yes, yes, Dave was one of those. It was just like it was useful, it was important, like given the options we had out there, you know, Timo's not fully fit. Callum after that performance against Brian, it, it made sense. Mount kind of had to start. It makes complete sense. And yeah, I don't say I said this season, I don't think he's really been at it. But again, I'm not too surprised because last year he performed at such a high level for so long and he was so consistent. I think it's only natural that there was some drop off in terms of consistency performances. But what's been good is he's kind of made up for that with his with his contributions in an attacking area, which is something that was perhaps missing at points last season. So, yeah. Not not been at his best recently. You know, I don't think he'll win play every year like he did last year, unless he has a sensational second half of the season. I don't think he's really in the running. There's probably five or six people who've had better seasons than him. But that's absolutely fine because he's a young player who will be a crucial part for this team moving forward. Uh, next question comes from Shyam. If you're in Tuchel's shoes, what do you do with Lukaku after this? Give him the board. That's 100%. Look, it's a tough one, Shaul, because again, I don't, the situation I don't, it's pointless comparing you know, in terms of the severity of the situation to the Kepa situation, but we did see with Kepa, he was dropped for one match and then he was back in. You know, he was a seven, he was an expensive signing. Lukaku is an expensive signing, but obviously some similarities. How do you kind of manage it? Because we can't, let's be realistic, we can't relegate him and punish him to the under 23s. We can't, we bought him to help us score goals. We need him to get, you know, get us firing. And again, Diego Costa threw a hissy fit mid title charge in 2017. Conte dropped him for a game and it's, you know, he seemed to get him back on side at least till the end of the season. And he played his part helping us get across the line. So how do you, if you were in two shoes, what do you kind of do with the Lukaku situation? I think yesterday he handed it quite well. My instinct is I don't know, but at the time of recording, like I said, there's a meeting between Tuchel and Lukaku and a lot will depend on what happens, what they decide there. And I don't, if, if I'm going kind of really bluntly and off my instinct, I wouldn't play him again for at least, at least not Spurs, Chesterfield, Spurs. Maybe until like Spurs in the Prem or end of January. I, I just can't see him playing for us again this month is my main thing. I think if we played him again this month, it just wouldn't reflect well on the club. But at the end of the day, that's a club's decision. That's the board's decision. That's Tottenham's decision. And we'll all have different opinions on him. I'm definitely not an opinion that we should sell him. That would do nothing. That helps no one. But we need to make our stance clear. And I don't believe that dropping him for one game is enough. I don't think keeping him out for one game and then bringing him back in does anything because he's still going to have the same view. He's still going to be of the same opinion and nothing will really change, in my opinion. So at least three more games, in my opinion. But that can change. That's objective. That's just my instinctive opinion. And the honest answer is I don't know because it's a really complex situation. It's really hard to answer. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, next question comes from Jam. Lukaku should never play for Chelsea again. Yeah, now I think we've said nay to that. Uh, which is second <laughs> follow-up question. Which is most annoying home game to have dropped points in? Burnley, Brighton, Everton or Man United? Jack, what's most annoying? Um, I think they're all, they're all games that are quite equal in uh, in the respect yeah. of, of being annoyed dropping points. Um I'll rule out I mean, Burnley. I think I, 
Yeah, I, was, I actually think we played really well that yeah, game. That was the first time we dropped yeah. points. And I thought, that's but, what that happens. You get one of those a season. But yeah, I get what you're saying. But does that not kind of make it more annoying that we played well in that game and then you've dropped points? I don't know. It's a difficult one, isn't it? The United one, I think we had. We had countless chances. I know Jorginho made a mistake for the goal, but made amends. We had countless chances in that game to kill kill them off. Um so I'd probably I'd probably maybe go United or Brighton just because I was there and just <laughs> just wit- witnessing witnessing it all unfold in front of my eyes right next to the Brighton fans. So um yeah, I mean you, you look at those results and even Leeds, I know we scraped through that, but that's a scrape through last minute penalty. We we really could have had six draws in our last six games at home, which is which is pretty shocking. So um, yeah, the form the form at home has just not been good enough, really, has it? No, exactly. Fair enough. Yeah, for me, I'd say probably it's between Brighton or Everton. Probably Everton is like frustrating, but as again, we probably we actually played quite well against Everton. Brighton was just awful, but the fact we, we actually nearly got away with it and then conceded late on is what probably is the most annoying one. For me. Final question. I'll say Everton. Oh. I'll say Everton. Yeah, I'll give, actually, I'll give you just yeah. quick answer for this from everyone. How good was yesterday's performance out of ten, Michelle? Um. Six, because the first half an hour wasn't good enough. The last hour was good. Fair enough, Jack. I'll probably give it. I'll probably give it a seven, seven and a half. To be honest, just yeah, we weren't good enough. We gave away two sloppy goals, but the yeah, just the, it's it's very cliche thing to say, isn't it? You hear me just say it all the time, but like the desire and the courage, determination and grit that those players showed to get back in that game was was second to none. Yeah. Um, and I think Nishal said that um, that was our first time we come back from 2-0 against top six opponent in six years, which, which kind of says it all. So, yeah. fair play that, to the well, players. Shows they're really playing for the manager. Was that Spurs at home, Battle of Bridger in last time, I'm guessing? I was Battle of Bridger. I was good to be fair. I was going to say, we've probably not been in that situation like too often, being 2-0 down against big mm. six. But probably when we have, it's probably just been gone on to lose. But yeah, no, we, were, we were two 0 down last time against Liverpool with fans in 1920. Oh, we, we lost, lost that game. Yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, next question comes from uh, Theo. Comparing and contrasting performances against Brighton and Liverpool, where the former included Lukaku and the latter did not. How much are Chelsea as a side? How much better are Chelsea as a side with or without Lukaku? Nashal. I mean, it, I guess it's kind of easy, like a person to make, but also I think it's you know. Perhaps not, maybe not as easy to just come to a concrete decision because I said Brighton, Lukaku would be really good, I thought. So it's quite mm. tough, isn't it? In terms of football, we're much, much better. There's no denying that. I think if, if circumstances aside, imagine we didn't have a situation with Lukaku and he does start yesterday. With a Pulisic chance, he scores. With a Mount chance, he scores. And he gets two or three goals in that game. So situation aside, and in terms of football, Lukaku, we're much better off with Lukaku. In terms of circumstances, we're better off without him. And I think that goes without saying, because it's not the effect he has on the football game, it's the effect he has on the mentality, on the drive, on the circumstances behind it. Because it's very easy to look at a football game as 11 players against 11 players and the best 11 players will win when it comes down to so much off the pitch. You know, over the last month or so, we've had COVID cases, we've had injuries, we've had player power revolt, we have had everything thrown at us. And it changes the circumstances for each game. Whereas when you look at when the squad was fully harmonious, fully fit for the start of the season, we were winning, winning, winning. 
because we're good, because we have a good squad. So in terms of football, we're better with him. In terms of um, kind of squad mentality and squad strength, we're better off without him. Fair enough, fair enough. Look, yeah, I say it's interesting with Rom. The only thing I'll say yesterday is I think Kai is the one, Kai is basically playing instead of him yesterday, and Kai is the one who actually pressed Trent into that error but led to Pusic making a chance. And I mean, I'm, it's kind of a because we don't score anyway, but does that chance happen if Rom's on the pitch? You know, in that position pressing, I'm not sure. It's a tough one. I think it's fair to say, look, it's, we say, I, right I think decision. we win that, I think we win that game if he plays though. Fair enough. pure footballing, footballing terms, I think we win that game. But, as we know what the situation's been, yeah, Tuchel couldn't be undermined by a player like that. So, uh, I think he's yeah made the completely right decision. Fair enough. Next question comes in for Joe. Who needs to start up front for Chelsea while the Rom saga drags on? So I guess if we go with the initial approach and Rom doesn't play again until Spurs at home in the league, say twenty third Jan. Uh, Jack, who who's your front three? I guess looking forward to you know say Spurs or you know yeah Spurs and oh. City. Um, definitely not Pulisic in the false nine. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, I'll probably go Havertz again. I thought he did all right yesterday against two big, strong defenders. Um, did okay. We always, we always, always watch him and just want a little bit more. But I'd, I'd probably start him if he's fit. Um, then I don't know. We said Mount could have a rest though. I'd probably give Pulisic another shot. Scored a goal. Maybe not his greatest performance yesterday, but still scored a goal. Um, and then, yeah, maybe maybe give Callum another chance. It depends what we want to do with, with rotation, etc. So it's just the, the usual, yeah, we just have to see who's fit and who the opposition is, really. Yeah, fair enough. Hopefully teammate can come back soon. Next question comes in from Clayton. Who do we go for in the window? Left back and bring Gilmore back? Uh, uh, the latter part of that, I'm not sure we can bring Billy Gilmore back. I think he's played too many games for Norwich. So unless Norwich decided we don't want him anymore and they're, you know, given by their fans' behaviour at the uh, game at Crenshaw Crystal Palace, you know, a few days ago or whatever, who knows? But yeah, I don't think Biddy is really an option. So, Nishal, I guess, January is always a tough place to go. Who would you look, where would you be looking to go in window and who would you looking to be bringing in? I would look at getting a left wing back in on loan unless, I feel like it depends on our strategy going forward because if we're keeping Alonso longer, there's no point buying a permanent left back because then there's just someone left on the side and that just adds to the list of Emerson sort of players, you know. But if Alonso isn't going to be in the plans next season, which I think is a possibility, then I think it would be good to look at a long-term left back. But again, I feel like that would be better suited to looking in the summer for a permanent signer. So again, a wing back in on loan. Maybe Dina, if we get him alone with option to buy, you know, I don't mind him. I think he's a good player. I don't know if he's a right player, but in terms of the option... And I think this goes back to the discussion we've had before that I don't think the left-back market is the best. We got our good left-back in Chilwell. Spurs got a good one at Egilon. And other than that, there's not really... Taylor Fico, of course. But I don't think we could go for him again. So wing-back is a priority. Um, looking ahead to centre-backs in the summer, because as it stands, we could be losing four of our centre-backs. So we need to at least... We don't need to bring anyone in right now, but we need to at least start or resume the search for centre-back. And I also think an out-and-out winger would be really beneficial for us. And someone that has been mentioned is Usman Dembele. And to that, I say absolutely not, because that just adds to our problems of having injury-prone wingers. Imagine we've got Hudson Dory's come back from Achilles, not his fault, but still. Pulisic is injury-prone and Ziyech is injury-prone. We're like, you know what would really help is another injury-prone winger. Can you imagine all four of our wingers being out injured at the same time? 
and I'm to play Ross Barkley and Malang Sars as wingers. Do you want that to happen? No. So don't get Dembele, but the priority now is get a wing back in at least for duration of the season and start the search for an out-and-out winger and a centre-back. Yeah, no, as I think Jules Koundé, the start, the rumour mill will start again in January. And yeah, hopefully maybe give that's all for the end of the season. And yeah, say, look, we need a left wing back. Marcus Alonso, again, I actually thought yesterday was probably his best performance in a while, despite obviously his, you know, him being at Volkberg. I thought he was really good. He was getting forward. He was NJ. He was really up for it. But he can't play every week. We can't run him into the ground. And as we kind of seen against Brighton, Pulisic as a wing back ain't really it. And, you know, Callum, we don't really want to be seeing playing there. And yeah, so it's one of those, yeah, left wing back. Dinia's, if that's an if that's a possibility, go for him. And look, if it's a permanent, it will have some knock-on effect. You know, you've got Ian Matson on loan. Potentially, does that maybe block his pathway? But he's probably not ready yet. He probably needs maybe another year or two out on loan. So we'll see. And if you get Dinia permanently, then I think as much as Alonso, wherever people's unit, I think if we get Dinia, then that's got to be the end for Alonso. Because you said you can't have Dinia, Alonso and and Chilwell with Emerson probably more than likely off if Leon uh, choose to take by him from, from his contract. And he's pretty sure he's impressing there. Uh, next question from Jay. Uh, let's assume City are winning the league now. Does second place matter or should we focus more on the Cups going forward, Jack? I mean, for me, it's just top four and I guess we could go for the Cups, really. League position is not too important. They would be nice to, I guess, get decent points, Tally. Yeah, I think it's one of those if we can cement our position there and not drop points in the next few weeks and bring ourselves into that top four scrap with the likes of Arsenal. United, Tottenham, etc. Then, if if we're dropping points and in in and around those, it's going to be a very stressful end to the season. So, hopefully, we can he we can kind of cement that position in second or third and and keep up there with Liverpool. It seems like it's going to be us two challenging for that second position. I think the league's wrapped up and done. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not too bothered. Uh, we want to see some runs in the cup. It'd be nice to go deep into the Champions League again. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to see. We know what we're like in in one-off knockout games. We're usually on the good, very uh, usually on the whole, very good against good teams. So, I think we we we've got every chance there. It just obviously depends on the COVID and injury situation. But basing off the performance yesterday, coming back from two 0 down. I think we'll have good chances against other teams in that that are left in the Champions League. Yeah, fair enough. Next question, Daniel. What did you make of the interesting tactical tweaks Tuchel made when approaching the game? The front three and two wing backs are very high, essentially made in the front five. Is this something we can use to unlock defenses and stop pesky draws? And then the second question is, if you were to sell Lukaku, who replaces him? But we'll uh, answer the first part of that question first. Nashal, what do you make of Tuchel's tweaks? You mean a half time? Uh. It doesn't say half time, but I'm not sure. I guess just it says approaching we get the front three and the two wing backs were very high, essentially making a front five. What I will say is I think however the might should work also made us very open because there were a lot of mm. diagonals Liverpool pinged over the top, but they were yeah. just offside or close to offside. And also Liverpool did get in behind a couple of times. So I'm not quite sure the tweak worked, Dan. But uh, Nishar, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I agree. And not to mention that as soon as Liverpool got the ball past our wing-backs, we had literally no defenders back. We were very, very vulnerable. And I think that's what you're naturally going to get when you've got, with all due respect, two wing-backs who are not the best defensively in that position. So I think I understand why the approach came, because I tweeted yesterday that it was Klopp's game pressing against Tuchel's game pressing. 
and he was like, good gagging and gagging press, the other team's gagging press. So that's what we tried to do. I think we did do it really effectively at some points, but there were a lot of points in the game where we didn't do it well. I remember so many instances where Mason was the only one pushing over front three, and he was livid with Pulisic because he just wasn't pressing. Havertz wasn't pressing as much as well. And while Havertz did start to do a bit more and Pulisic did as well, we could have pressed a lot more because Kelleher did have a good game, but you notice that every time he got the ball, he'd always take a touch in the box and he'd always have an uncomfortable touch. He wouldn't really set himself up. He'd take a touch to kill the ball in his box and then assess his options. We could have easily got a goal from that, without a doubt, if we were pressing him more. So I don't think it was the most... I don't think it was executed effectively, is the way I'd put it. I agree with the tactical tweaks and what Tuchel was trying to do because he understands what you need to do to counter-press a counter-pressing team. And if we had the right players and everyone was doing it as a unit, I think we would have been much more successful and would have won that game. But at the end of the day, we didn't press well enough as a unit at certain points in the game. And that's not to blame an individual, to blame anyone. But I think that's just a fact. You watch the game. And there are a lot of instances where we're pressing, two players are pressing and the other three are just standing there. That's just something we need to work on. So it could have worked. And it's something we should definitely look at in the future in working on that sort of tactic and really pressing. But it didn't work today. And it's similar to City where we tried to press them and we just didn't work and they just played it over us. So definitely lessons to be learned there, I'm sure. Yeah, no, exactly. Fair enough. Also, I will say, I think, although the sub might not necessarily have the desired effect, I was completely on board with bringing Jorginho on in that midfield to try and shore things up because there was a point where I think Liverpool, you say Liverpool, it were able to play for us quite a bit as well. Uh, second part of my question, if you were to sell Lukaku, who replaces him? Uh, Holland. Lukaku to Milan. Holland is the man. <laughs> Lukaku's going to play Europa League. Yeah, no. Um, stupid joke. Although uh, I saw I saw he wants to go to Real Madrid, so... Um, I mean, he, he's the obvious one, isn't he? Yeah, if not, bring back Tammy Abraham. Simple. Next. Um, final question comes from, from RJ. Obviously, proud of performance, spirit and character shown. Do you feel this was a one-off type performance given the context and high-stakes nature of the game or is it a sign of unity that will filter through the remainder of our campaign? PS, the 2Ks were on fire. Jack, to me, it did kind of feel like a one-off type performance. Like, don't get me wrong, like, it was good, but that felt like we that was us at our level yesterday. That was us at our very best and what we were probably, like, the max mm. we, could, we could show. And, you know, on another day, without the mistakes, we do win that game. We still probably could have won that game from 2-0 down. So there was... For me, like a lot of encouragement, and it was definitely a sign of unity that hopefully can feel through. But to me, that definitely did feel like this was a, a one-off type performance. I think you, yeah, you, you can't, you can't necessarily perform to, to the level that we were playing yesterday, um, the high pressing, etc. Because we're just with the players aren't built for that. Playing three times a week, we're just going to get more injuries. So, um, again probably opponent defend, uh, dependent who you're going to try and play those kind of tactics against. But I think that was a massive performance that that showed all of those players are behind the manager. Like we said earlier, in the past, if maybe a John Terry, Frank Lampard, Drogba figure came out and said things like Lukaku did and put the club down a bit, the fans probably would have backed those players since they'd been around the club for such a long time. But it's nice to see see the fans finally fully back in the manager. Um, and I think Jamie Carragher explained it quite well in, in, in the Sky Sports studio about that. 
um, us all back in the manager, etc. So I think they fully showed their behind Tuchel and what could have potentially been a performance that could have signalled the start of the end. Um, I think that showed that really showed that they're all behind him and we're going to kick on hopefully with this manager. Yeah, fair enough. To show any thoughts on sort of that question is that um, you know just sort of a one-off, but also how much like, I know we kind of start about unifying is for for this team moving forward. I'd say the circumstances felt like a one-off, but we can definitely keep that going and keep that team unity going because it's not going to be the first time or the last time we face adversity, whether it's again player revolt, whether it's injuries, whether it's any sort of controversy. It's not the first time we've had to do that. And it won't be the last time. I think of performances like 3-1 against Sunderland after Mourinho got sacked. I think of performances after Lampard or in the face of Bursa against Sarri. And we've seen these unifying performances before, albeit in different circumstances. And just because the circumstances and the context will change, that doesn't mean the unity will go away and the strength will go away. It's definitely something that we can keep going. And it's a sign that if we do play together and we do stick together, you know, I'll be cheesy and make a reference to Blue as a colour. We'll together and winning as our aim. If we keep doing that, and we keep striving for that, we can keep winning these games, whatever the circumstances, whether we've got the entire squad revolting, or whether we've got incredible harmony. This is a sign of better things to come, and a culture change at Chelsea, and I'm confident that this won't be the last time we see a statement performance like this. Whether Lukaku is resolved soon or not, we can perform like this again, and we will. Yeah, no, exactly. Look, it was really encouraging yesterday, the fact that you could clearly see that everyone was behind the team. And I said, reference the tweet I read out by, from Joe Tweedy earlier, that was completely how I felt. And I'm sure a lot of people could really resonate with that. And yeah, exactly. Look, I don't think we'd have seen that like, level of performance against you know a lesser opposition, purely because I just don't think we would have necessarily needed to be at the level we were yesterday. But also because we do, obviously, these players, like I do raise their game for these type of games. And also the crowd does definitely, I think, left them, as you could see, like everyone was up for it yesterday. Like, Pulisic was, you know, G in the crowd. I'm like, everyone was G in the crowd. Whereas Brian Midweek was maybe only one or two, just trying to get them to help over the line. But like everyone, yesterday, all the boys were on it. And it was really great to see. But that's going to wrap it up for this week of that Chelsea podcast. Thank you again, as always. Before we go, I will get our guest, Nishal, to give himself one last plug. So, Nishal, where can people find you and all your work? Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Good episode and lots to talk about, as always. If you enjoyed what you heard from me today, you can find all of my work on nishalsblog.com. Articles, videos, podcasts will all be there. And you can follow me on Twitter at nishal underscore SP to see my coverage and my thoughts on Chelsea and Switzerland. Yeah, and all those links will be in the description below. As for us, we're on all your usual podcast platform providers. Uh, we're on Twitter at VatchRicePod and Instagram at VatchRicePod. Give us a follow there. Uh, when we tweet the pod out, like, retweet, share it about. That's always helpful. And you can now also rate our podcast on Spotify. So if you want to give us five stars on Spotify, I'd be very, very much appreciated. Uh, it also gives a rating and review on Apple Podcasts as well. But yeah, tell, tell a friend, play it from a play it to whoever, play it to whoever will listen. And yeah, until the next episode, everybody, keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.